Welcome back, serial killers, to another Saturday Morning Confidential. Today, we're going to prove why the Goonies are good enough. I am so excited to be on finally with our guest, Mitch Punpayak from Geek Elite Media. Mitch, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you. Thank you for welcoming me on the show. It's, it's, been, it's been a great to listen to, and, and I'm, I'm so happy to finally be on. Oh, thanks, dude. I appreciate it. So for anyone who hasn't had the pleasure of listening to your podcast, tell us about who you are and the media you produce. So Geekly Media is a podcast network where we um, essentially get, I mean, it's, it's, the, it's in that category of a bunch of people standing around talking about a thing, right? It's not mm -hmm. finance. It's not history. It's just mm -hmm. pop culture talking. And um, we have a lot of different shows. We have a women of history show. We have a... Um, we have a uh, TV sh series show. Like right now, we're watching uh, WandaVision and talking about it every week and uh, what's going on in that. It origi originally started as a as a uh, Game of Thrones podcast, but um, you know, Game of Thrones was only one part of the year, so we kept doing different shows throughout. And we usually we usually have a pretty good time on that one. We have a comic book sh show. We have. Uh, an interview show that I do, and um, we also have, uh, right now, <laughs> I am in the midst of planning my wedding with my fiance, so we have a wedding podcast where yes. every week we give updates of what we're doing, and we we talk to vendors, and we talk to uh, our wedding party, and basically just get a general idea of what everybody thinks of weddings and what it is they look forward to, so... Okay, so I have to ask, what is it like planning a wedding in a global pandemic when we're not really sure uh, when everything is going to be able to happen and when we can have large groups? What has that been like for you all? So I we we got engaged um, New Year's Eve 2019, and you know January we started planning. So January 2020. Um, at that point, you know, no one, no one knew anything was about to happen. <laughs> well, I'm sure some people knew, but we didn't know. And we had already set a date of October 9th, 2021. So mm -hmm. we knew, you know, it was a far ways out. And um, March 2020 happens and we're like, oh, well, it's a good thing we planned really far out. We're yeah. now at, you know, January 2021 and we're like, ooh. We really hope it's still going to be far enough out that people are going to get, you know, vaccinated and, and numbers are going to be down enough that people feel safe to come out. That is our biggest fear at the moment. Like mm -hmm. we are still making plans. We have put down deposits for everything. Um, luckily, my fiance is a lawyer and she made sure the contract said that if a pandemic is still happening, we can move it back and, you know, not have to lose our refund. Oh, God or, save or the deposit. queen. Oh, that's <laughs> so good. Honestly, that's so smart because I've seen so many people who have uh, uh, had weddings play, paid for for two years and the places are like, you know, oh, sorry, no refunds. And so everybody's like, I guess we have a pandemic wedding, I guess. I don't, you know, and that's just so good on your wife. That's amazing. Yes. Uh, so we had originally so you know everyone knows this used to be doll up in dreams i had already planned our episode uh you and i had already talked about what we were doing we we're gonna do sports movie i then you know when the rebrand happened i quickly was like mitch we still have to have you on the show and you threw out a couple and you said goonies and i'm pretty sure i screamed as loud as i could through text message holy shit we have to do goonies <laughs> what is your nostalgic connection to the goonies so I don't know if it's it's exactly accurate, but 
because this movie came out in what 85 and 85. i was born, yeah and i was born in 82 but i have mm-hmm. a distinct memory of being in the movie theater when chunk is telling the story of being in a movie theater and fake vomiting everywhere or at least fake vomiting and getting everybody else to vomit so that is a distinct memory that i have that i feel can't be true because i don't know if i went to see this movie in the theater when i was three it's it's a possibility I, I hope you did. I, I love that <laughs> idea. Uh, yeah, this is, I was looking today doing some research uh, and I was like, of course it was made in 1985. Cause I mean, I was born in 1985. So I like to think it was a good year for uh, entertaining <laughs> things to come out. But like the list of movies that came out in 1985 that are considered iconic or cult classics is uh, probably so long that we could do several years of podcasts on every movie made in 1985. Yes. Um, so, I mean, I hope you did see it in the theaters. Um, but other than that, as a kid, what were, what were, what was appealing to you about this movie? Oh, I mean, what isn't appealing about getting with your friends right. and going on a treasure hunt adventure? Like the idea that you could put all of that together is every kid's like mega fantasy like yeah of course i'm smart enough to figure this all out like of course i can put these clues together and also i have to say who doesn't love a good rube goldberg device right like it's so true (laughs) it's so true uh yeah i this movie takes all of the things that i think kids and kids at heart uh can love because you've got your crime drama with the fratellis you've got um your monster movie with sloth you've got your rom-com with um oh god of course i'm forgetting josh brolin's character's name but andy and josh brolin's character and (laughs) and it's one of those things and then you've got the action adventure and then the fantasy of a pirates movie like the goonies truly has everything which is why i am so surprised but also from my time with Dole Whip and we did so many movies in the eighties that were in these same genres. Um, and this is when critics were still thinking of them as artists. They, they only watched film that was art. (laughs) Um, and, uh, you know, so this movie has a 76% on Rotten Tomatoes. And now why that now that is technically certified fresh. Um, because there is a fan score of 91%, but 60, um, you know, 60 critics over, you know, the last 30 years, 35 years have said Goonies is, you know, pretty okay. They're good enough, but you know, they're not great. Uh, and I strongly disagree. And I really hope we can, uh, break that down today. I mean, I really Um, feel like Goonies sets the, precedent for this type of movie like it is the the group of kids getting together on an adventure movie yes yes absolutely i these are one of those things and this era had so many other movies like this i mean just the rotten tomatoes alone it says uh you might also like lost boys stand by me adventures and babysitting license to drive and labyrinth all movies that came out within Uh, several years of this movie, but also they have several of the same cast members, several of the same just feeling they are the, the teen group movies. Well, the preteens, I guess for these kids, but they're, uh, you know, this is back when (laughs) this is before we would get the, uh, the 90 shows where you've got 30 year olds playing teenagers. We have teenagers (laughs) playing teenagers Um, and a group of teens that would become iconic adults. 
Oh, yeah. Um, all of them in their own right, um, I think more or less have really sustained some sort of uh, well-knownness throughout their adulthood. Um, and this was one of my dad's, oddly enough, favorite movies. I think we own two different copies of it, a VHS and a DVD at my, at my uh, uh, childhood home. And so I always have just such fond memories of this movie and it's one that if it is on tv or the moment it comes on streaming because everybody knows this movie is never streaming true ever um i will always watch it like it's been <laughs> on tv a lot recently and i've watched it several times um even before we had uh really nailed down a date for this i <laughs> it was the only like non-christmas movie on so i had was like we are watching the goonies and then going back to <laughs> christmas vacation um so Christmas yeah, Vacation, I, yes, my favorite uh, Christmas movie. <laughs> my favorite Christmas movie as well. It, that that and oddly enough, the Jim Carrey Grinch. But Christmas Vacation, I probably watched it every time I sat down to watch Christmas wa um wrap Christmas gifts this year. I watched Christmas Vacation because it was on so much. Another movie that's never streaming except in like July. It'll be streaming. yeah, it's uh, never streaming at that at Christmas never time. Streaming, but like heaven forbid, I can watch Vegas Vacation year round because you know. <laughs> Who doesn't want to do that? Um, <laughs> oh, God. This is now the National Lampoon's Vacation Podcast. Uh, I'm okay with this. <laughs> I am totally okay with that. So, yeah, it actually didn't do a ton of money to begin with. In its initial run, it only did about 935000 which, you know, for most of us, that's more money than we'll make in our lifetime. Um. Now, through monies now, you know, now money, uh, it, it has made through re-releases and things $124 million altogether in 2020, um, which isn't bad for a $19 million investment. But again, it's also not the blockbuster that we now expect. But I was, again, it's another one of those that I guess revisionist history, but everybody I know loves this movie that has seen this movie. So it shocked me that nobody went to see this movie um, in, uh, in theaters, like not enough people to make a ton of money. Granted it was 1985 and the ticket price was much lower. Um, just, so I, well, just, I mean, it, I was just gonna say, it's gotta be one of those, uh, found its home in, in VHS home yes. rental. Like it, yes. it had to have been. And cause if you have, I mean, I know Stu Spielberg doesn't direct it, but he is the producer, right? And you have mm -hmm. him coming off of E.T. and everybody knows that this is going to be some type of family movie. And 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 Richard Donner, I don't know, had Richard Donner done any... He'd already done Superman at this point, right? Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. there's, there's mm -hmm. a lot of prestige coming into this movie that it didn't do mm -hmm. well in the theaters is surprising, but that it does well at home, the home, mm -hmm. like, makes a lot of sense. I'm going to refresh what we were just saying. Uh, apparently, it ultimately did gross $9 million through uh, its initial run, uh, and then subsequently $60 million in its overseas worldwide kind of deal. So it did make more eventually, and it was re-released in 2010 in theaters um, mm. when it went streaming. Um, so, you know, it did... Well, and it did open second only to Rambo First Blood Part Two. So, <laughs> um, and it was the top 10, it was in the top 10 highest grossing films of 1985 because so many films came out in 1985. Um, I mean, where was, yeah. where was Back to the Future in that? Well, let's find out. Thank God for Wiki, right? <laughs> okay, so Back to the Future was number one, followed okay. by Rambo First Blood Part Two, followed by Rocky. The Color Purple, Out of Africa, 
Cocoon, the jewel of the Nile, witness, goonies, and spies like us. Um, so wait, wait, wait. So, You're telling me that the color purple, Back to the Future, and Goonies all were in the top 10 of 1985 and which all have connection to Steven Spielberg? Yes, they were. That's incredible. Well, and Steven Spielberg wrote the story for this. He literally penned the story and passed it off to Christopher Columbus to write for film. So this is Steven Spielberg's love child. And Sean Astin in his book said that working alongside Richard Donner also meant walk working alongside Steven Spielberg, who at times had conflicting opinions on how to direct this movie. Oh, wow. Um, and so it was for him as a child, uh, you know, who grew up in Hollywood. His mother was Patty Duke. Um, and he would go on to have a nice long career. Um, still working today. We love him. Uh, oh, yeah. And uh, yeah, so he said it was difficult because Steven was always on set. Steven, you know, Steven Spielberg can't, be involved in something and not give his two cents. <laughs> I feel um, we literally just did return from Oz and he literally called uh, Disney after they fired the director and was like, you're an asshole. You need to hire him back. And they went, well, Steberg, uh, Spielberg likes the guy. And then George Lucas and uh, Francis Ford Coppola did it as well. So this is when he is the, one of the biggest powers, if not the biggest power in Hollywood in, in this time. Oh um, yeah. And so, you know, this is, but this, this movie has gone on to, uh, you know, it's got, they, they have, it was shot in Astoria, Oregon, where the Goonies home still is. You cannot get near the house anymore because so many people <laughs> were just, it's the same thing that happened with the Hocus Pocus house and everything. People just go crazy. Um, or but the they, Breaking Bad house. Oh, the break, the poor Breaking Bad house. Uh, um, but also, you know, they opened up a film museum there that opened up on the 25th anniversary of Goonies 10 years ago. Awesome. Um, and still has a thing. So Goonies has really lived on and is a mainstay. I I think Martha Plimpton has it in her co uh, her contract that there's always a joke about Goonies or something like that uh, in every project <laughs> she does, because I know there were several on Raising Hope. Um, I remember that. She's just a treasure. I, I'm going to say this. This is also the Martha Plumpton stand cast. I just, because I love <laughs> how much theater she does. Um, but I'm going to say, let's just jump in. Um, okay. For you, what are some things that this movie just does right when you're revisiting it as an adult? So obviously the the um, movie hits all the spots of, of, of mystery and curiosity that, you know, mm -hmm. really want to grip you and, and, and bring you in and engage you. But, I mean, you can't not talk about this movie and not talk about the soundtrack and right. uh, Cindy Lauper yes. singing the songs. Yes. <laughs> so, I mean, if there's not a more engaging part of this uh, movie than the soundtrack, then, I mean, it's, there's... And, and you know what? I'm not a person that usually pays attention to music or songs like that, but, of course, you know, the, the songs of my childhood are definitely yep. big for me. Listen, we, somewhere Matt Storm just collapsed. Like Stormageddon just collapsed because we said you didn't pay attention to the music, but it's okay, Stormageddon. We'll we'll talk about it. I agree. Actually, leading in this episode, I took about as much as we legally could of Goonies are good enough because I love Cindy Lauper, and so we use that legal amount that we're allowed to, and we let in this episode because also for me the song 
um, that that song, as well as the score for this movie, which has been used, it says something like in 250 other trailers and movies, um, the chase of the Fratellis has been used in over 200 other projects. Yeah. Um, apparently it's one that they go to often for, um, epic chase music that you, when you need it for a trailer before a score has been finished for that movie. That makes Um, sense. And it actually was not released for a very long time, which is, is a surprise to me. But I guess everybody wanted the pop scores for movies in the 80s, not the film, not, not, I guess not the film score. Um, but yeah, this one of the first things I think about is Cindy Lauper's song. And it I hear it on the radio all the time and when I'm in stores, those kinds of things that play those 80s mm-hmm. callback stations. It's, it's one of the first things I think of when, uh, when I think about also baby Ruth, how many people out there honestly have had a baby Ruth bar, but only know it because you think of baby, baby Ruth. How, how do you not have a baby Ruth and not say it that way? When you're about Regs, to <laughs> I literally, every time now, maybe it's just cause I'm ADHD and I'm a child. Every time I see it in a checkout in my head, I just go baby Ruth. Um, <laughs> and I know I can't be the only one. Um, but this is another one of those things that I think you pointed out. Well, this movie sets a tone and set kind of a standard to rise to for a teen action adventure or a, the modern treasure hunt movie. Mm-hmm. Um, cause you even, even movies like pirates of the Caribbean, which are actually pirate movies have thematic elements of what Goonies brings in. And so much of it is so just so good. I mean, and it's also funny to think that like this was uh, Josh Brolin's very first movie. And now wow. we can't, now we can't get rid of him. Two Marvel <laughs> movies in three, you know, three Marvel movies in two years. Well, more than that, but the, the big ones where he's not just a cameo, um, yeah. you know, he's, he's one of the few that's played two different characters on Marvel. And, you know, it's just one of those things that, the legacy, I think, for so many of these characters. I mean, and just the fact that Sean Astin went to go back to do Stranger Things, which if it was not for Goonies, I would argue Stranger Things would not exist. Oh, no, not at all. Like, it definitely pulls from that. And you get the whole Spielberg feel for, in Stranger mm-hmm. Things as, as well. So, I mean, you probably wouldn't even get National Treasure without Goonies. Like, I know National Treasure I pulls agree. from Indiana Jones a lot, but, mm-hmm. like, there's a lot in there that is this. Yeah, we hadn't really had too many contemporary treasure hunt movies that weren't period pieces set in another time. Because, mm-hmm. you know, we had Indiana Jones, which was massively popular. Um, you know, it was the 80s, so of course kids saw it. But, you know, it's this is, this is indie light without feeling indie light because also it's just as dangerous and they're going through just as much... Tr- trauma and turmoil as as Indy does just without the Nazis you know it's the mom <laughs> instead of the Nazis um but yeah it's it's just uh I I think we're gonna talk about this for a while because I just I like so much of this movie because even from the top I think they do a really nice job of balancing the stakes it's very straightforward like the, like there's really an a plot and then a very subtle b plot but like you know, because then you got the, I guess the one-eyed Willie plot is its own plot that plays into the main story. And then you've got the Fratellis and their crime family, and you've got the Goonies trying to save their town. It's, you know, it's very straightforward. You know, it's not, you know, this is that time where we're seeing Reaganomics and trickle-down economy and and 
how good everything was supposed to be for everybody. But I actually think it's really interesting because for how many of us lived in communities that were really similar to the goondocks, Mm -hmm. um, you know, they weren't particularly well off people. They were in such danger of losing their homes because of eighties, early gentrification and wanting to build shopping malls and build up and make luxury beachside housing. Um, and so it's also just a very, we see, you know, being a little chubby kid myself, there's, you know, Mikey's not your typical hero. And then you've got chunk. None of these kids are your typical heroes. And they're all those kind of outliers, which is something I really love about these characters. No. Yes. The, the diversity of the characters is great. I mean, you have, you have data and chunk and, 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 uh, Martha Plinton, Plinton's character. And I'm, I'm spacing on it at the moment. Oh, uh, Steph. Steph and Andy, like, they're not, I mean, I would say Andy and Bran would probably be mm-hmm. your two, your typical high school kids that would, yeah. that, that are going to be mm-hmm. your heroes, but they're not. They're, they're regulated to side characters where yeah. everybody else is, is pretty uh, front and, and faced. Well, and also because Brand in almost any other story, because he's the athlete, it almost wouldn't matter where he comes from socially because he's like white, good looking, and he's the the like masculine athlete kid. He arguably would have been popular, but it's really funny that he's not popular right. because he's not. You know, and this is that time where we're getting the the John Hughes style douchey uh boat shoes boys um oh yeah and so you know which that guy's what's that piece of shit uh <laughs> god what's his name i think i've only ever I, seen him in one other thing and it was just mm-hmm. like i it was passing and i was like oh that's the that's the bad guy from goonies and yep. after that i've never seen him in anything else but he said well because I, you know there were that was the time where there were a thousand of those guys. I mean, that's when oh, James yeah. Snyder came around. That's all of those guys that were like that during that time. And they were the peak villain. And it somehow makes it worse when they're the teenage version of their parents. Like, you know exactly <laughs> who that kid's dad is. Um, Cause also there's that great scene with brand on the little girl's bike, which again <laughs> has been replicated in so many movies family guy i'm calling you out seth mcfarlane y'all have ripped this bit off so much but that's also like the art of what family guy did when family guy was kind of at its peak true Um, true and i wouldn't say it's a ripoff because with that team and with everyone there it was a love letter to the goonies it's it's Um, an homage yeah i mean even bob's burgers has done their goonies episode with the the bubblegum guy which was just so so good oh i mean (laughs) show me a bad episode of Bob's burgers. I don't think we can, um, you know, (laughs) we just, we can't, we can't. Um, but yeah, this is your typical archetype movie, but you've got these really great, you know, and this is the point where we also are, it was really easy for them to be like, okay, we're going to have one black kid and one Latinx kid and one poor white kid and one rich white kid and one kid with a weird accent or speech impediment or the yep. disabled kid. Yep. Um, and so this movie is a little whiter than that, but um, you've got, you know, uh, Data who is, you know, fantastic. And he had been in, I believe he'd already been in Temple of Doom at this point. Mm-hmm. Um uh, you know, with, with, you know, playing up that idea of the, the accent. Now that we'll, we'll get to that in a little bit. I would like to put a pin in that and come back to data. Um, <laughs> okay. You know, just cause it is hard when we're talking about eighties movies to not 
find a few things that are a little cringy by 2021 standards, but also in a way that we understand where the film was being written from at the time. And I wouldn't say that data has, there's no malice in how they wrote data. I think he's supposed to be lovable and charming and weird. And he is lovable, charming and weird. Um, I mean, I mean, I know you said you were going to put a pin in it, but I just want to say as a, uh, Asian American kid, I yeah. really looked up to the fact that I was represented in the movie. Yeah. Yes, it is very stereotypical. Yes, it's very you know uh, it, it could be considered cringy now, but like the idea that this kid wanted to be double oh seven. He 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 wants to invent things. That's I was like, yeah, I want to invent things. Yeah. I can I could do that kind of stuff, and I, I get it. But like I, to me, and I can only speak mm-hmm. for me, is that it, it, it didn't it didn't hurt me. It only made me well, feel better. And this is your authentic experience too. Like you are this kid, like he represented you all. And so I do think it was, you know, looking back and go, uh, the, you know, we, we pick, we go, Oh, is the dialect a good choice. But then I go, well, what if that was just his dialect? And they went with it and it's funny. Like, you know, it's <laughs> <clears throat> then the booby traps, booty traps thing is just so good. Again, yeah. it's, it's another, <laughs> anytime someone says booby trap, I have to go, you mean booty trap. You know, it's, it's just, um, it's, Again, I, th- I I didn't realize until I was older how coded I was by this movie. Oh, yeah. Um, and how interesting it was. Um, but I think I just, I think something for me that it does as a designer now, uh, looking back, the idea that One-Eyed Willie's boat is fully built and designed for this movie is <laughs> huge. Like... <laughs> Ash Blodgett, I had Ash Blodgett on to talk Pirates of the Caribbean, and they only used, like, one full-size boat for that, two maybe, and then built, like, uh, the sets and everything. But otherwise, they literally built it in that alcove and just, like, had it and, like, shot everything on the boat, which I think now they would never do. But for this movie, it's so fantastic. <coughs> Oops, sorry, that- everyone. Sorry, everyone. <laughs> I mean, that is incredible. The, the- yeah. To make uh, the the whole boat like that, I mean, all the scenes in this. I know that a lot of it is is, is shot in uh, sound stages and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But like, there's so much great stuff in uh, just the set dressing and and stuff like that. Like, uh. and watching it now, you know, you watch a lot of things from back then, and, and now with higher crisp, uh, you know, pictures and stuff, you see the flaws. Mm-hmm. I don't, I didn't really remember seeing too much uh, nope. bad in this. Yeah. Nope. Nope, I they they were showing the most HD, and we have a. I'm very blessed to have a very large high definition television in my living room. It's not mine. Uh, <laughs> actually, you know, thanks to a Disney cast member who just left it on the sidewalk of our apartment building. It's ours now. Uh, hey, there you go. <laughs> hey yo, but um, yeah, it's oh, and there's so much that even like the Fratelli's restaurant, the. You know, this is, uh, well, something I think interesting before I move on from the boat, they actually used so much of the boat that was left over at Pirates of the Caribbean during their 1986 refurb at Disneyland. Oh, wow. So Disneyland, the Goonies live in your Pirates of the Caribbean, which to me is amazing. It's like this double inception of of really cool things. <laughs> Again, that inform each other. And I mean, how many of us... I. I I dare say there's got to be people out there who haven't ridden Pirates of the Caribbean at this point, but like how many of us have ridden Pirates of the Caribbean and just those little, you know, it's, I was at universal the other day and knowing that there are actual props from ET in that ride at universal studios to me is just so cool. Um, 
So, yeah, but I just, you know, this is one of those things. Christopher Columbus, this is an interesting way to kind of pick apart his evolution because I think we look to what Christopher Columbus has done recently and we look at, like, Percy Jackson and the first two Harry Potter movies and we go, huh, well, those were all choices. And then, you know, we get back to, you know, the Rent movie, which is, you know, fine. And then some of, you know, his brilliant work in the early 90s and late 80s as a director to then this as a writer. I think this is just one of those moments where we see so much of his talent as a writer that I always would go, hey, if Chris Columbus wanted to write another Goonies movie, I wouldn't be mad because of every time I revisit this, I just go, God, I love so much of this movie and the script really has a lot to do with it. That's fair. Now, yeah, I mean, the 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 fact that you would have to keep all the different moving parts in mind while writing this because mm-hmm. not only do you have uh, the kids and their adventure, you have to understand the One-Eyed Willie story, where you know how mm-hmm. it would, how it would work somewhat backwards from the ship to back to uh, getting to the kids. Then the Fratelli side story of you know what it is, that I, what it is that the, he was originally in jail for. You know all all the mm-hmm. different bodies that they seem to have everywhere. In the <laughs> <laughs> and then you know uh, a third kid of of Ma Fratelli that is just chained up in a in a basement. Mm-hmm. Uh, which uh, God bless Chunk. God, or not Chunk. I'm so. Sorry. <laughs> What's? Uh, I'm sorry. Sloth. Everyone, sloth, not Chunk. Chunk and Sloth. As you know, they are two. Or I would say, they are such an iconic movie pair. They are so delightful. I also, as the little fat kid with Chunk, I always got, I was always the the kid that was, tried to be nice to everybody. And so I just, you know, I look back and see so much of Chunk. Also, as a big, as a big sissy myself, the scenes of Chunk just monologuing about everything he did wrong, <laughs> which apparently a lot of the stories are all directly from Steven Spielberg as a child. He really? did that movie. He did the movie theater prank as a kid. <laughs> which, oh, that's too much. Which honestly makes me respect the shit out of him even more other than everything else he's done. But like, I just, I think it's so funny. Um, but I think Christopher Columbus, and maybe it's why... I actually don't have too many issues with the first two Harry Potter movies or like the home alone movies. I believe he worked on the, he did work on those. Um, that he understands the voices of kids, like a really authentic voice of, of not children, but not full teenagers yet. Um, these young boys that like, that's my biggest thing is in most things today, when we're talking about, kids dialogue or kids acting everybody's like well they're good for kids i guess and it's something that stranger things does so well is they really get an authentic voice of the kids in and i think it's one of the most shining moments about what christopher columbus does with this script it i mean yeah i i agree wholeheartedly and then one of the other things i mean talking about the characters one of the things that i love about it and is that we don't pull the thing or they don't pull the thing that a lot of the kids go on an adventure story or kids you know do do a thing where the parents are just oblivious to everything mm-hmm. like i know mm-hmm. we don't get a, we don't spend a lot of time with the parents in this movie but they aren't just straight up oblivious like the mom is is trying to put this whole household you know together so that they can move and mm-hmm. for the oddest reason has a broken arm like just the idea that we're gonna throw in this 
part of having a broken arm because they need to have her get help so that they can have the part to introduce that mouth knows Spanish. Like that is right. a whole chain of thought just to get to that one aspect. Uh, yeah. And then the dad, you know, sees all the kids as they they go riding by the museum that he's a curator at, and mm-hmm. uh, and then at the very end, like how how long does it take you to sign your name to something? It seems to take right. their dad forever, uh, but it, it's it's just enough time for them to get the the rubies out, uh, the stuff yep. in his marble bag. So it's just all the the characters all seem to be very well thought out, and and that's yeah. the part that I love about this movie. Because there's nothing that infuriates me more than piece of shit, useless parents from 80s and 90s movies. Like, there's nothing worse. And, like, when they're in cartoons, it's somehow forgivable. You know, when they're the parents from Fairly Odd Parents or Dexter's Laboratory, you know, it's one thing. But, like, for this, like, they're all such real people. And I don't hate the parents because they're not even the parents from Ferris Bueller who are, like, painfully wealthy and just aloof enough um you know they are you again it's that moment you understand the struggle that this community is going for that like they're not poor people but like they're working class people whose town is being upended by development and it's a difficult place for them to be and you know it is important uh you know that data's parents are there as you know immigrants and and those kinds of things i think it is so you know it's it's that thing that i think they this is one of the movies of the time that most adequately represents what I think a lot of Americans were in that time. And the Americans that would be watching the movie, which I think is very important. Oh yeah, definitely. Um, Yeah. So uh, we've talked about the Fratellis a little, but they, it's, it's so untouchables at times, but then also like mad magazine does the untouchables. (laughs) Like it dances that line of real, like mama Fratelli scares the shit out of me to this day. Like I am still scared of that woman. Um, and still oddly attracted to the opera singing brother. I don't know what it is. It's why I have a terrible taste in men to this day. Um, <laughs> he's an autistic bad boy. What can I say? I mean, it's true. Um, it's true. He's misunderstood. I, he's mis. I bet he makes a mean calamari. Um, <laughs> as I've offended all of long Island and Jersey city. Um, but I think, Again, this is going back to the script, but, you know, we get these moments where we seamlessly go from treasure movie to a crime movie of the poor kid playing Chunk who would have like a body thrown at him or, you know, while, you know, while it was makeup and it was probably a very real actor and things. But, you know, it's one of those things that they really do such a good job of going between these two and living in those moments. I still know what happens beat to beat in this movie, but I get nervous every time they're doing the, the like organ and every time that they'd have the Rube Goldberg machine And this movie's full of so many beautiful little Easter eggs to the people who created it. Um, and it's just evident that everyone that worked on it top to bottom, it was a love letter to film. It was a love letter to what they did. And it's one of those moments that you can tell everybody from the top to the bottom, loved every aspect of their job. Oh, yeah. And, and speaking of, of things that stick with you with this movie, I am still afraid of my blender just because of this movie. Like, watching that tomato get blended up and they're talking <gasps> yes! about putting it in your hand and just like, <sighs> yep, I know the not to be near yep. the blender. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's why I will never, ever fix a garbage disposal because to no. me, a garbage disposal is just a big, blender under your sink it's all it is that's right um 
And like, I will not put, I was like, anything can fall down in there. My child, a ring. I'm not putting my hand down there. <laughs> now why my child would fall down there. We have bigger problems. And it says why I don't have children. Um, <laughs> but I also marveled that this movie took five months to make. I am at, I, I, you know, movies took longer and now, you know, it shocks me when they go, but at the same time they were like, we made Greece in 31 days. Ha ha ha. You know, I mean, Greece, the worst, the trickiest part was the flying car. Um, you know, that was 79, but you know, it's so, there are so many moving parts to this, like you said, and the idea that Christopher Columbus kept it in his own little brain. Cause now we see, you know, 15 different story writers and 15 different story producers and three screenplay writers and 17 producers. Um, and I think it helped that Richard Donner, as the director, produced this movie. This is the, uh, another argument that I would say where this is still in a time where the creatives got to be creative mm -hmm. and the money people weren't necessarily involved. Because at no point along the way is there a thing where they go, man, someone wanted us to do it quicker. Someone wanted us to do it faster for less money. Um, and it's obvious with these movies that they just kind of let them do what they were going to do and make the movie that they were going to make. Um, which it's, I think evident in this final version that we have of this film. So have you ever like just sat there and contemplated like how all the booby traps up to Willie's, uh, like ship were created and like, how did the map get out and who was, or why is it that, um, Chester Copperpot was like underneath the boulder, but like none of the uh -huh. other boulders were had fallen down. Like I always uh -huh. wondered about that. Uh huh. Part of me was like, "Don't think about it." Uh, don't oh yeah, no. It. You know, as a kid with hyperfixation, you know, these are the things I thought about a lot. Um, <laughs> and you know, as an adult, I go, "Huh, maybe it's just because you know they were newer." Because these are booby traps that are literally made by like gravity and rope. So yeah. like, they're lucky <laughs> that they didn't like fire on them or you know, um, those kinds of things. But yeah, I think about it a lot because I go. There is almost no chance in hell that that map got out and that at some point in time, you know, we do, they do get hurricanes on the West coast. Not as often. They also get so much rain. I find it hard to think that the side of that cliff, if it is that fragile, never collapsed. Right. Cause like rotting wood is rotten. Um, I, I know I know that is a mind-blowing statement for everyone. That rotten wood is rotten. Water is wet. Did you actually water is not wet itself? Uh, but according to Hank Green this week on TikTok, water is lava, and we are all lava monsters because ice is a rock. I, I we'll get into that on an after show. I don't have an after show, but we'll get into it on the after show. Um, so there are things like that where I will. I will uh, imbibe of certain uh, medicinal properties uh, here. And you, yes, Mitch, these are the things I sit here and think about when I, uh, uh, you know, have imbibed a little and um, have eaten a brownie or, or a Rice Krispie treat. And I'm just thinking about Goonies because oddly enough, I think about Goonies a lot. So, <laughs> <laughs> or, you know, like I said, I watch, I do watch this movie often. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's one of those things that, Normally in a movie now, we would go, oh, the continuity. Fuck the continuity. And in this, I go, girl, just don't think about it. Let's not worry about it. We get to go on this journey. It's about the journey, honey. Let's it do really the journey. is. <laughs> it's so much about the journey. 
However, I do want to say, at the end of the movie, when everybody's just sitting there staring at that boat on the horizon, how is it that nobody is running towards a boat to try and get out there? Because that's you get to find that thing, you get to name it, you get to own it, I assume. I, I, that's how you things then, work in this ocean, right? You then also get everything on the boat. Exactly. The curse, I guess, is broke. But for me, the boat leaving means the curse is broken. Yes, or one I really loves those babies. Well, because they took the little jewels. They took the jewels. Because mm-hmm. um, like for me, a Goonies two would be them going to find the boat. I would love that. <laughs> maybe not. Maybe not. Maybe we don't need that. Maybe we do not need that. Um, but, um, uh, but uh, yeah, I we don't need that. But you know, it would be you know I I but the, I said the same thing. I was like, I don't get why. Nobody goes after that boat. If these people are that hard up for money or they could really save the town and like literally out by the town. And, you know, I guess this is a more modern idea, but it'd be owned by the citizens of the town. Um, and so it couldn't just, the land just couldn't be bought. Um, you know, it's, it's one of those things that I go, yeah, I, uh, these, those are those moments where those kids were like, we almost died so many times. Can we <laughs> please? I also have to say, I'm so happy. None of the kids died in this movie. Because it is the 80s and early 90s, kids died all the times in movies, and I'm so glad none of them died in this movie. No, yeah, it would definitely have been a different type of movie if if Data had actually fallen to his death and impaled on spikes. Like, uh. <laughs> how how terrible would that have been at that point? But and yes, you're you're absolutely right. Correct. They come so close to dying so often, and if it wasn't if not just for the booby traps that. Uh, you know the pirates left behind but the fratellis who were shooting at them regularly like they're just either too bumbling of uh criminals or they're just not good enough or i I don't know like i mean i guess they're just good enough to pull off a small town heist to like get out of prison but like also uh not good enough to like outwit seven kids i don't know yeah how's it it's a how is it that if you if you have dead bodies that you're transporting through your your fake restaurant why do you let the kids in to give them quote unquote water (laughs) also do you know what i have learned from true crime that i have become obsessed with as an adult the more suspect your business looks the shadier you actually are and the closer you are (laughs) to being caught so like you know, if I were the Fratellis, I would, the, the, the scariest thing would actually have been if Mima Fratelli had been this like squeaky clean, um, like restaurant icon and they were running the restaurant and then shadier things happened. I think that would have actually been crazier to me. Now, again, this is adding way more layers to this movie. That's already got a lot of layers. Um, but it's like, why is nobody in this town going, oh, it's this summer place. It's closed. But I was like, if y'all have been in there, that has not been open any summer recently. Ask Brownwater. That building is not up to code. It is condemned. There is no way they've got, well, it's the 1980s. Who knows about health code? But, um, you know, there. You know, that's when you got Cokes doing cocaine in the back. Okay, I'm kidding. If you've been to a Chili's recently, let's be honest. If you've been to a Chili's recently, why are you eating in a restaurant during COVID? Um, there you go. But two, two. Your chef definitely did a line of cocaine while they were waiting for your um, chicken crispers to come out of the microwave. So, like, <laughs> you know. <laughs> but you know, there were all these things that if they had made them a little squeakier, a little yeah, I guess a little squeaky clean. 
Um, because they do dance that line of Italian stereotypes, but also yes. it's a crime movie, so of course they are, and I'm not mad about it. And I, <laughs> you know, half of half of my friends who are all Italian, their families are all like this, so like I'm not mad about it. Um, you know, but it's one of those things where those are those moments where I start to look at it and I go, oh no, my sweater's pulling just a little. I start to pull it just a little, and I go, oh no, 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 let's not think about it. Let's not think about it. But at the same time, also then you've got sloth screaming, and no matter what you do, you can only play Dean Martin so loud to drown out your disfigured monster of a son downstairs. <laughs> now let's let's talk about that. I mean, the, coming into let's do it. We have the, to. We have you know. to. We have to. Uh, you know, modern times, we don't want to see anybody chained up to a, a wall in a basement or anything like that. Nope. But the nope. fact that this is a you know gentleman that has miraculously survived and is really well muscle toned for being dropped as a baby repeatedly um, is 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 another type of special that is going on yes. in this movie. Yeah, and it's one of those things where sloth would be so different now because this is that thing and we have to dance that line of like, is there a lot of ableism in this movie with that character and with Chunk to a point? Yes, yeah. there is. But also, sloth saves the day. Sloth is a hero. We love sloth. Um, and, you know, he was played by wrestling and wrestling was huge at this time. It's still mm -hmm. huge, but like this is when wrestling is I mean, Andre the Giant plays Sloth in the music video. So, like, I, I didn't know that. Really cool. Yeah, it's really cool. A bunch of wrestlers are in the move in the music video because it's a 12 minute musical of the movie. Everyone needs to go watch it, and all the kids except the girl that played Andy. What's her name? Um, 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 um it's right here. Carrie Green. Uh, yes, Carrie Green. Um who, you know, has had a bit of a career. But I think it's interesting, her headshot on all of the websites is still her, like, Goonies-era headshot, while everybody else's has been Moved updated. On. <laughs> yeah, I don't... I know she hasn't acted as much since then, but... Um, I was going to say, yeah, the only I, thing I, I remember from is Lucas, other than this, where it's yes. her and Charlie Sheen and Corey Haim? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they've literally said the movies she's known for are Goonies, Summer Rental, and Lucas. That's right, um, Summer Rental. I love that movie, too. But... But her wiki does show her active through 2012 as a performer. But that they also count any times you show back up to do interviews. But like she also doesn't do much of the, you know, anytime there is a convention or anything, she doesn't really do the let's come back and talk about it. Um, I think she did the most recent one with Josh Gad. The, she did. She yeah, absolutely the reunited did. apart. Yeah. I mean, because honestly, you look like a piece of shit when you don't come to a, a reunion. That's, you literally can sit in your living room and do. You look awful by not doing it. But I mean, they even they even had Richard Donner, Steven Spielberg, Christopher Columbus, and Cindy Lauper were all on that same reunion. Like, yeah. say what you will about Josh Gad, but like the the projects that he got to do the reunion. So like. Don't pause right now. Wait until you get to the end of the episode, but then go watch. Uh, the reunion is still on YouTube on Josh Gad's channel. Um, it's so it's so cute. I watched it earlier today, kind of prepping for this. Um, and then they did another one in December where they did a live reading of the full movie script. Oh, wow. Uh, I didn't know about yeah. that. Oh, yeah. Um, Josh Gad played Sloth. Gene Smart played Mama Fratelli. Kristen Bell was Irene Walsh. And Carrie Elways was the narrator. Nice. Um, they did it for charity and they raised $130,000 for donations uh, for the charity No Kid Hungry, which I also have never heard any of these actors speak poorly about their time in these movies, um, despite 
Corey Feldman um, kind of coming out about the terrible things that he endured as a child. Correct. Um, and as a younger actor, which, um, oh, that's its own podcast right there. Um, I hope he's got one. I would love to have a, a podcast of him talking about that, but that's a lot of trauma to go through yeah. on a weekly basis. Um, but, uh, you know, it's one of those things that uh, this cast is just so fond of it, and I love that about you know, because we love when the stars that were in the things we love love what they did, and so yes. I love that they love what they did. Um, but yeah, it's it's that thing with Sloth of I don't know how I would do it differently because he is deformed, but he's abused, but he gets he gets that he gets that hero moment. He you know we assume you know. Uh, but it is it is that thing where I go, if I have to put one issue that is my issue with this movie, I'd say it's that idea that, like, because he was dropped on his head, he had to be deformed, which meant that he was a monster. Right. Um, but, uh, you know, I like to think that Sloth, uh, you know, would go on to live with with uh, Chunk's family and he becomes Ron Perlman. Uh, <laughs> and so then Ron Perlman can play Sloth in the sequel. Um, I, I mean, how does... How exactly does that work also? This is a, a gentleman that, you know, has been living in a basement for whoever knows how long. And then the authorities are like, sure, you can just go live with this new family. I mean, he is an adult, so I guess that's okay. But he's got the mind of a child, so they probably would need to assess him first. And, and the strength of like 10 adults. like <laughs> um, And uh, John uh, Matsuka, who played him, unfortunately, has passed away. Mm-hmm. Um which is a, a bummer. I almost want to see John Cena play him now <laughs> uh, or the rock or something. Not really. They, they do lovely work, uh, but you know, it's one of those things that it is, it's hard, but I don't know how to talk about it in a way that I would have done it differently, especially in 1985. Right. And I don't know. I mean, obviously I wouldn't do the like elephant man. I think almost a funnier thing would be if he's just this, this like tall, gorgeous like muscular man who's just uh has a has a learning disability Mm -hmm. like he's just has the mind of a child and i I think that would almost be just as charming because then it's like oh chunk chunk's got a brother chunk's got a another friend because you know he's 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 the he's that friend that everybody had that everybody went oh god i was that friend for everyone out there i was that (laughs) friend i was the crier i was the one that ratted everybody else out (laughs) trouble um but Sloth is hard, but I think in this, again, also because Sloth doesn't die, which is another important thing to me that like I, the, the, the villains get their comeuppance and all the, the good people get their goodness at the end of the day. And so I think that's why I, it's one of those things that I give it a pass in this moment also because it's just, it's this movie. Um, and I wouldn't do it the same way now, but I, I, I give it a pass in a way that's probably awful, but I do. I mean that's I mean that's fair, and I and I would say that one way that you could do it is that they kept him chained up because he obviously has a sense of right that is much better than the rest yes. of his family. So maybe yeah. he would be the one that would turn them in, and that's the reason why mm-hmm. they keep him tied up down there, you know, kind of thing. So or could, or they. Oh, sorry, you keep going, Mitch. No, no, yeah, I was just say that that's just what I was say. You you could you could do it that way, but I, I understand. How, why they made the choices they made in 1985, yeah. I guess. Yeah. Or also, maybe he's not uh, childlike at all, and he's just a little deformed, or he's just he's just like a really good being, like he's a good son, and so you actually walk into his his 
his cell and it's like a little apartment and he's just sitting there like reading James Baldwin. And <laughs> yeah, he would rat his family out because he does have a good sense of right and wrong. Um, but he reads, he loves action novels or he loves adventure novels. And mm-hmm. so he gets an opportunity to go on this adventure and he does. Um, I don't know why I just thought of like Mark Rylance in a thousand of the roles that Mark Rylance has played. Cause he's just so sweet. Mark yeah. Rylance himself is childlike. I've wor- I got the pleasure of working with Mark Rylance on Broadway. That's what- awesome. Sweet, sweet, wonderful man. I will watch him in anything. He's so delightful. He even made ready player one watchable. Um, <laughs> don't come for me. I hate that movie world. Um, <laughs> I mean, but- it's, it's, it's true for just about everything, but the book is so much better. I mean, it's not a great book, but, but it's it's a, be- right. it's a better book. I think, guys, the misogyny for me, I can't do it. I I can't do the the damaged woman. Oh, there's uh, so much hero, wrong in that in the, in the story. Um, it's visually very cool. I, anything where I get to see Moral Iron Giant, I will gladly take. <laughs> Though, just a weird moment, Mitch. Did you know that was supposed to be the Megazord from the original Mighty Morphin Power Rangers? But I did they not know get that. The rights. They couldn't get the rights, and when I found that out, I went, "I'll do anything for the Power Rangers." I'm sure Case is sitting at home right now, going, "Yes, yes." Um. But I, yeah, I, oh, again, this is not a Ready Player One podcast or a Ready Player Two. Um, but yeah, I think there are, I guess, now that we're thinking about it, and I'm kind of picking this apart. This isn't another pass, but this is the one thing where, you know, that I would, I would change. Because uh, you could even leave. I think this is also another example. Now, maybe it's I've got blinders on. I don't find too much of the how Andy and Steph are treated necessarily as misogynistic and kind of damaging as a lot of the women's roles were for their types during this time. And I actually think there's something really beautiful and sweet about brands, uh, like brands attraction to Andy. I think it's really sweet. Um, and I, I think it's one of the few movies from this era where there's not something, and maybe I'm missing something just cause there are moments in this movie. Every time I watch it, I go, Oh, I forgot about this. Oh, I forget <laughs> about this. Um, well, I mean, maybe right. I might be, be being naive, but like Andy, you know, decks Troy when he keeps, yeah. you know, trying to watch, uh, you know, look down her skirt or look up her skirt. Actually, mm-hmm. uh, Steph never is smitten with any one mm-hmm. particular guy. Like, yes, her and mouth yep. have a a scene at the end, but it's not more. It's not the same. And. Uh, I, I get. I mean, I don't know if it necessarily passes the Bechdel test when they're talking about the jewels that they find, uh, and right. that's because that's probably the only time they're not talking about a boy. But mm-hmm. other than that, it's they they're not they're not the prize to win, and mm-hmm. they're also not in the damsel in distress most of the time. Well, and Steph, they make because Martha Plimpton is really beautiful in her very unique way. Like mm-hmm. she's one of those women that just has such an amazingly unique look that is still very gorgeous. Um, and she has those wonderful giant round <laughs> glasses on, and so she's still beautiful. But like she looks so different from Andy. But they don't make her the dumpy best friend. They don't nope. make her the dowdy best friend. She has almost more agency than Andy does for a lot of this movie because she. Has the independence outside of having a love interest which i really love mm-hmm. um and i Plus, think the two of them yeah go, go ahead. ahead i was just gonna say what is it that she's doing at the very beginning of the movie when they're introducing all the kids i know she's like dipping her head in into water like getting a crab or something uh yeah yes something like that oh god i feel dumb i just watched this movie two days ago um yeah 
Yeah, that sounds right. That sounds right. So, I mean, I, I just always wondered, what is it that she does when she's not hanging out with Andy? Like, what, what, yeah. were, what was her plans for that day? Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> well, and I love that Andy's not the only girl. I love that Steph gets to come along and, like, she gets to be a little bit of a ball buster, which I love. And, you know, it's one of those things where, and it's not, um, she's not Sloan from Ferris Bueller. She's not the, like, dripping sex kitten at 16, which is something I really do appreciate. I mean, Andy has that naivete and and um, innocent quality that a lot mm-hmm. of, you know, the special girls of this time had. Um but this, I mean, this was also the time where we've got these really interesting characters like the women in the John Hughes movies, which we don't think of necessarily super progressive now. But like for the time, they were redefining what women did and like how women looked at themselves in film, which I think is still important. Well, I mean, do you, can we talk about like the the how Andy, and I'm not knocking her for this, but it doesn't matter what situation they're in throughout the whole movie. She is ready to make out with Bran. Like, she wants to get with him at every... Like, they are being chased by the Fratellis. They are mm-hmm. in the middle of the water where, uh, supposedly, earlier on, there was an octopus that we never got to see. Uh, right. And, you know, the the building, the cave is falling around down around him. All mm-hmm. these things are happening, but she's still got that energy of, I'm going to make out with this dude. I'm I'm getting it. <laughs> Listen, even looking back now with my with my teenage eyes, I am always ready to also make out with Brand. Not not because he's a young <laughs> fellow, but like Josh Brolin has never not looked hot. Josh Brolin has always been hot. Young me thinks it. Now me thinks it. Cable was almost too attractive in Deadpool 2. Uh, I was like... Like, even as Thanos, he was handsome as Thanos with that ball chin and the purple skin. I went, all right, daddy, snap, snap those fingers. Let's take out half these people. Let's go. You meet the universe. Um, so, I mean, I don't fault her for that. Also, because that's that idea of, like, women owning their sexuality. Yes, which exactly. Which very important. Yeah. Um, I mean, that would be, also, that'd be that WAP energy now, right? <laughs> yes. Well, it's also one of those things like when you've got the kids that are making the memes, like what if what, what if we kissed on the MTA? For me, it's like, what if we kissed on one eye Willie sinking ship? Like, <laughs> come on now. Like, I think it's I just think that's so good. I love that you're like, it's like the WAP energy. That's so good. That is so good. <laughs> that's so good. Oh, but yeah, I think and I think it again, it's so different than the other women. I mean, and especially if we're looking at comparing Goonies to Lost Boys which again it's the same it's uh, very different genres because I would still call Lost Boys like light horror Um, but it's even so different than um, oh god I can't remember her name who is in that it's right here Um, oh Jamie Gertz in in Lost Boys yes Jamie yes Jamie Gertz in Lost Boys like because she's got some agency but she's wilting and literally just is there to look like sex with big brown hair and giant eyes. Like that is kind of what Janie Gertz's role is in lost boys where this, I don't think that's the women in this and I don't either revisiting it now. I think it's so good. I, th- I think it's wonderful. <laughs> um, uh, I, I did want to bring ahead. up, bring up that. I don't know if you saw it, but I th- it's either I, I'm, I'm thinking it's around 2005 when they had a 20 year anniversary DVD and uh-huh. on the DVD, they had the uh, like another like commentary reunion uh, mm-hmm. with the cast mm-hmm. and Sean mm-hmm. Astin and 
uh, I, I, Carrie Green were there, and mm-hmm. Richard Donner brings it up about the fact that the two of them kiss in that scene. You know, the the scene where she yeah. thinks that Mikey is Bran. Apparently, like they get, like Richard Donner lets it out that that was uh, Sean Astin's first kiss ever. And he gets up and leaves, like from the commentary at that point, because oh he's just so God. embarrassed. That's so poor, poor Samwise. Yeah. Well, and Sean Astin was at the top of the world. That's right after Lord of the Rings. So oh he yes, was their exactly. Get. Well, apparently, also in that exact same one, um, he had made a really high, like several thousand dollar bet with Martha Plimpton that she would stop chewing her nails for this movie. And she did. And he, she made him pay up it during the commentary. <laughs> I don't which remember that. I think it's so, I think it's so good. And it's so Martha Plimpton. Um, if you've seen her in any um, things. Okay. So I don't know what movie Metropolis is, but I want to read a review from that 2005, 2007 DVD re-release, which it might've also been the first Blu-ray release. Okay. A reviewer named John Puccio feels the movie lacks charm, wit, or warmth, yet appears to remain a hit with children because of its frenetic pace, slapstick gags, and goofy characters and lightly naughty language. Did we, I don't, did we watch the same fucking movie as that guy? I don't, like, I don't see how you can, you can say this doesn't have charm. Like, this is just oozing charm. It's, (laughs) yeah. I, I get the, the the pacing. Yeah, it's a it's a very fast paced movie. It keeps you engaged. It keeps you like just hey, what's about to happen next? But it, there is it all should. kinds of charm. Yeah, of course, as it should. And so, like even the the Chicago Sun Tribune in two thousand seven. I'm guessing this was that DVD re release during that time. Um, and he he says it's ch- a charmless exercise. Donner turns the kids into shrieking ferrets, and his jumpy cutscenes seem to lag behind the action deliberately in a curious attempt to make the film seem more chaotic. Again, not the movie I've watched. <laughs> I I I think it all feels like it's in pace with each other. Like I don't I don't under I don't understand. Like I just I don't understand. I, I, I don't understand where these people are coming from at all. That's very, yeah, that is very strange. I, I can understand that. Yes. As kids that were born in the eighties, we ha- we definitely fall- have this movie in a special place, but we couldn't mm-hmm. be the only ones that have gotten it to the amount of money that you said that it's gotten to in it's, you know, overall run. Right. And somebody just pointed for TV guide said, um, some love the Goonies. I see it as a mediocre children's flick. What would you consider a a good children's flick then? Especially 1985. Need I remind you, Black Cauldron came out that same year. Need I remind everyone? Like, (laughs) uh, uh, heaven knows what these same people thought of Breakfast Club. But also, uh, I can't imagine even looking at Goonies with a 2007 lens, a 2020 lens, a 1990 lens. I, it's one of those that, like, I think it's shot better than half the movies today. The practical effects are a standout for me. Um, oh, yes. That it was so many. The real Rube Goldberg machines that they built. Also, that, like, Rube G is an etching of one of the pirates. I think that's so <laughs> smart. It's so cute. Um, I do think it's interesting, though, that Rotten Tomatoes, unless these were... Um, 
just digitized at a later time from the original reviews. We don't have a review of this movie on Rotten Tomatoes from before the year 2000. So I'm wondering if some of these are from when they were just digitizing archives later, if they don't have the archives from the 80s, because I do know a lot of film reviews of this time are hard to track down. Makes sense. Um, uh, but... Yeah, I don't. All these people are like, it's uh, Donner's direction of Spielberg's tale is noisy, choppy, and surprisingly pedestrian. What were you watching that made you feel that that, that wasn't pedestrian? Like, are I? I don't. These are those moments where I don't think we should ever listen to critics in many <laughs> ways because. You know, I, I don't, I don't get it. And again, maybe it's nostalgia goggles. Maybe I can't take them off with this movie, but I, you know, I do. And I still think that, I mean, you know, you, we can't be only the one because why would the Goldbergs have done a, a, a an episode of this? Why would Bob's Burgers, Seth, uh, Family Guy? These are things that are on mm-hmm. huge networks that every that lots of people watch. There, it has to strike with a whole bunch of people. These are the, these reviews that you're looking at are got to be the outliers. Yeah, Turner and Viacom. This has literally been on TV five times a week for the last five months. This would not be on so many premium cable, well, not premium channels, but like channels that aren't necessarily with your free cable package. They wouldn't put this movie on if people weren't watching it. If the box ratings weren't coming back, that people wanted to watch this. Um, you know, this movie is always in the $5 bin at Walmart. It's one of those things. It's like, we think a movie's bad because it's in the $5 bin, but actually it just means that the company is making actually way more money in the long run than charging like 21 50 for it. Mm-hmm. Um, Disney makes $1 million every October on Hocus Pocus from five to $10 movie sales. Wow. So like, I know. Well, and then this year they made like 15 million off of the movie theater release for $5 a ticket in movie theaters in the middle of a global pandemic. Wow. Because it's Disney. <laughs> Fuck Disney. Um, I mean, this this is definitely one of those movies that I've gone back to watch at those $5 movie nights uh, whenever mm-hmm. it's, it shows up in my town. Mm-hmm. So yes. it's a thing to, to, to do. I think you're definitely, it, it definitely, you know, uh, uh, hurts it's it's resales uh, value because it doesn't have a holiday to attach itself yep. to like Hocus Pocus mm-hmm. has Halloween or Nightmare Before mm-hmm. Christmas has Christmas you know kind of thing like it, how if you don't have a a certain date to to attach this to then it doesn't get that mm-hmm. extra boost but it's still doing well like you said yep yep and I I think this is so rewatchable I encourage everybody who thinks because. Also, we can't be the only ones that like jokes about Goonies or thinks about Goonies every once in a while. It's like, uh, you know, it's like Adventures and Babysitting isn't the best movie. But I, I say in conversation, uh, I'm just the the beautiful blonde babysitter with the blues. Like at least once a week. <laughs> like you know, it's just those moments that like it one this movie kicked off so many people's careers and I think that has to be acknowledged. And I don't think those kids would have kept getting hired if they weren't recognized from this movie or the, I mean, they were all in slews of movies during this time. Cause we had, you know, stand by me, which I think came out before this. Um, but, Maybe, yeah. uh, uh, when did this come out? Oh, you don't tell me. Yes, you do. Hold on. Where are you? <laughs> oh, they only got rotten tomatoes is the fucking worst now. Cause now they only have when it was, went streaming. They don't have when it was actually released in theaters anymore. Oh, um, 
on oh i forget will whedon was in stand by me yep. oh river phoenix poor river phoenix um and but, you know, and uh, uh jerry o'connell <laughs> a chubby jerry a chubby cherry O'Connell. that's right um where what's jerry o'connell doing now all uh, right in jerry are you out there listening i i know you got you were is married it, to rebecca romaine stamos for a while is she is he not remar- married to rebecca romaine anymore oh wait maybe he she married him after she dumped john yes yes which okay good for her but like john stamos okay <laughs> again i don't know him as a human i know that man has the old original disneyland sign in his fucking backyard because he's the biggest disney fan in the world wow john john if you're listening i'd love to have you on the podcast that makes a lot of um, sense i have a story uh tell the story this is a tangent it's oh john wait stamos no podcast it's not disneyland now. okay so it was um a, a, myself and a group of friends we went to mm-hmm. universal studios in hollywood and at mm-hmm. the time is when Stamos was on ER and him mm-hmm. and the redheaded doctor on that show. And I can't remember the actor's name, but he was in mystery Alaska and uh, critters and stuff like that. Uh-huh. They were uh-huh. getting, they were going into this, the, the, not the special like star entrance. It was just like the entrance where you have the um, pass, the annual pass or the local pass. Yeah. And they had hoodies up and I, I'm sitting there outside of the, the group, my group of friends. And I'm like, I think that's John Stamos over there. And my friend just turns around and goes, John Stamos. And they just booked it inside. Like it was hilarious. <laughs> I, it was, at, the, at the moment I was thinking it was Disneyland, but no, it was, it was uh, Universal Studios. So it, it's a tangent, your, your, but far off tangent. <laughs> your friend ruined it for everyone. You could have met him. I know. Um, Oh, well, did you know John Williams also wrote the non-organic music for this film? I did not. This is um, this yeah. is chock full of people. Yeah. Well, I mean, you also had Frank Marshall and Kathleen Kennedy, a very young Kathleen Kennedy wow. as executive producers. Um, uh, I mean, yeah, it's... It, and, okay, honestly, a surprisingly small cast, which I think is what kind of makes this movie rather successful, is it's got like 15 people in it, at most, yeah, like fifteen, and that includes the like one-off people that we just see like flipping past. Um, which, if you think about uh, the scene with the sheriff's deputy, that's Richard Donner, the director of the film. That's right. That's right. <laughs> and uh, the film's uh, and the film's cinematographer Nick McLean is Mouth's mother. Oh, okay. Uh, yes. We love a uh, yeah, that well. That's funny. Uh, it's like we love a female cinematographer, but he is a, a man. He, he um, was just playing the mother. Yeah, just playing mouth. Oh, mouth's father. father. I can't read okay. everyone. <laughs> uh, it's okay. I have a master's degree, but I can't read. It's fine. <laughs> um, I'll tell you another thing. So, that this movie has done to me. It's made me. F- yeah. Uh, it made me. Uh, for a very long time, afraid of uh, using a public toilet in case reverse pressure shot you into the to the air. <laughs> right, that is one of those scenes that that it's it's one of the few like non-believable otherworldly moments in right. this. But I just I love it so much because it's that like Pee Wee's Big Adventure scene. Oh, like that style of something you would have seen in Pee Wee's of like they're underground and just all the pipes in the whole town are just up and down, up and down, and you've just got all of the the water shooting out at all of the people. It's just so it's one of those hijinks moments that's just done so beautifully and so well um, for this movie that I just, I love. Mm-hmm. It's so good. Mm-hmm. Now, is there anything looking back on it 
watching it as an adult that you would change it's okay if there's not but is there anything that you would tweak anything you know other than us talking about the you know not questioning the the, the historical timeline or historical right. happen in the history is there anything you would change about this or anything you would want to see done differently honestly no like because it, it plays out the way that it really should like there's not a uh there's not really any addition the only thing that i guess i would change is the one piece of dialogue that they kept about the octopus when they cut the whole scene out like as a child to me i was like why are they lying to the cops when this whole real adventure and and dangerous situation happened to them but they're talking about an octopus it's not until you know much later when i'm an adult finding out that there was a scene where an octopus attacks them and they get it gets cut out completely but if you watch it on TV, which is why I'm encouraging anybody who still has TV, the five people out there with TV, um, it only comes with my apartment for free. That's the only reason why I have it. It is both, there are two large cutscenes that are in all TV broadcasts of, and one of them is the octopus scene. No is way. in the TV broadcast. Yeah. It's quite fun. It's very interesting. Um, and so uh, if it is on in the middle of the night, I was up one night, couldn't sleep. It was not in that broadcast, which I thought was weird, but it was in the like daytime prime time. Um, but, and it's not in the home video releases, even like the Blu-ray release of it. It, um, it's uh, yeah, it's, Oh, where it's, it's I've never the, seen uh, this yeah, scene, so I need to go yeah. like check it out on TV or f- hopefully find it on YouTube somewhere. <laughs> yep. Oh, yeah. I'm sure we can find it on YouTube, and I will I will locate it if it is on YouTube, and I will put it on our social media. Um, but yeah, no, I think it's so interesting that they do add it in because it doesn't actually add too much time to the movie, um, which makes me go, huh, I wonder why it got cut. But, you know, it is already an hour and 51 minutes, which for a kid's film is kind of long. Yeah. Um, yeah. So because I keep remembering this movie is like a 90 minute movie and it's not quite a 90 minute movie. So um, though, I think it's interesting that Corey Haim was almost cast as mouth instead of Corey Feldman. Oh, that is interesting. Um, and the two had not met at this point, and then they were later cast in Lost Boys together, and then they would star in six more movies together. Um, but like in this situation for License to Drive, Feldman auditioned for the lead role and lost it to Corey Haim before they started working together. Oh, wow. Or no, after after they'd started working together. So um, I do think that's interesting. It is a shame that we no longer have Corey Haim with us. Mm-hmm. Uh, addiction is a bitch, and that's a lot of what Corey Feldman talks about now. Um Though sometimes hearing the stories are a little incoherent, but again, working through trauma is difficult for people. So, you know, that's, that's the whole thing, but it is, it is a bummer. Um, Mitch, for anybody who hasn't seen it, what would you say is a selling point? If us talking about pirates and mafia and things didn't sell it to somebody yet to go watch Goonies, what would you say to go sell this movie? I would say that if you want that sense of adventure uh, that you you get in uh, certain movies, like Indiana Jones or National Treasure, mm-hmm. like this is the movie for you. Yes, it is centered around kids, but it's not treated like a kids movie, so to speak. It's not it's not Baby's Day Out like kind of thing. It's 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 oh. it's seriously a. Uh, movie where these kids are working their way through puzzles and if you like that kind of thing then this is the the movie i mean the part where we're getting to um the the organ that you talked about earlier yes you have mm-hmm. to they have to figure out that playing the organ is what's going to get you to the next level so to speak like and 
once again, the whole, like, in English, the words rhyme, but in Spanish, uh-huh. they wouldn't rhyme, so I don't understand yeah. why it would be written that way, but hey, that's just me. Right, right. Um, oh, 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 something I figured out. John Williams is only credited because the Superman theme is there when Sloth rips his shirt off, because Donner directed Superman 1 and 2. That makes so sense. So that is why okay. that is why Williams is credited, because they credit it as non-organic, and I was like, the fuck does that mean, non-organic? But then that makes a ton of... That makes a ton of sense. Now, for you, now as you know, uh, uh, an adult who is, you know has Asian heritage, watching Data as a kid, what is it to you to see that we're still having conversations about like why people think James Bond can't be black or can't be a woman? Like, what is that? What does that still mean to you that like this was the be- honestly I was saying this could be the beginning of the conversation of why James Bond didn't have to be white at this point but like we are still fighting that fight today. What does that mean to you? I now think as it, obviously you can you can make those changes. Look at look at Doctor Who. We have a female doctor mm-hmm. now. Like it's it, mm-hmm. it's possible people that love the franchise are still going to love the franchise. You're going to they're going to get a whole mess of pushback when you you make those changes and that's the thing that that makes execs afraid like it's it's messing with their bottom dollar and and i i get that but you have to make bold jumps or you know changes to to re re uh vitalize the franchise i mean the next bond movie that should have already been out is supposed to have a black female playing 007 yes i understand that's not james bond but it is 007 which hopefully just makes it so that they're like hey maybe we can do something different with james bond the james bond character in the next next set of the franchise a black queer female which i love there you go (laughs) so much that's let's just but i I agree. I, I think you just put it really well. Also, I'm sorry. It is proven that controversy is profitable. Yes. So like, <laughs> unfortunately people, cause you know, what's going to happen. No, everyone said black Panther wasn't going to sell. And then it was the top grossing hero movie to that point. And they had more black viewers than ever before. Come see a Marvel movie. So like, to me at this point, I go just fucking do it. You goddamn cowards. Like I don't, <laughs> I mean, it helps that Black Panther is is also one of the best told stories in the MCU, too. Yes. (laughs) Yes. And even though we unfortunately lost Chadwick Boseman this past year, which was awful, I am so excited for a shitty-led Black Panther film. Oh, that's going to be awesome. Uh, I'm excited we might get Storm. I'm just so excited. I I could just scream about that because I loved Black Panther 1. But yeah, it's one of those things where I just don't. And, you know, this is me screaming as, like, a queer white person who doesn't understand gender. But, like, most of the world's not white males. So, like, show not white males. Fuck (laughs) them. As as gorgeous and wonderful as Henry Cavill is, do we need to put him in everything? No. But I love him. He's a gamer. He's a nerd. I want the best for him because he is unabashedly himself. But... I mean, you know. I would love it if we were able to just go to more people for more roles. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, mm-hmm. it is weird to watch the same handful of people do this, do the the lead roles over and over again. I get it. There are certain people that are just box office draws. Like, hey, you're gonna put uh, Michael B. Jordan in something. People are gonna come watch it. And 
great. Michael B. Jordan's a great actor, but I'm sure mm-hmm. there are a lot of other people that would also love to be in things. Yes. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. There are some. I mean, I know I can count on two hands a handful of young African American men who do exactly what Michael B. Jordan does just as well and are just as handsome. Mm-hmm. So, like, because that's a mug I could look at all day. It's like Tessa Thompson. I will put her in anything. I will watch her in anything. But you know, she doesn't have to be in everything. There are, you know, it's it's that idea of, you know, a lot of my African American friends who are all musical theater performers. They're like, we love Cynthia Erivo. But every time you need a mezzo belting black woman, it does not need to be Cynthia Arivo. But you know what? You know, Cynthia, we love you. And I think that this that's what the best thing. Uh, I, I, there are lots of problems with all the many streaming platforms that we have now. But it is also the best thing about it that we can get all these other people to become stars oh, because yeah. there are so many new avenues for, hey, I need a Cynthia Arivo type, you know, kind mm-hmm. of thing. And that's your next person. Well, and like, honestly, because of like things like Stranger Things and Mandalorian and WandaVision now, oh my God, episode three just came out the day that we are recording this. I was gooped. I was gagged. I was screaming this morning because <laughs> I have a, I have a group text with our buddy, uh, our buddies, Case and Pat Edwards, and that we scream about, we scream about WandaVision. And I just went, I said something was going to happen and it happened. This never happens. Ah, I don't want to wait another week week but we're seeing that like you know the kids from stranger things like joe kearney who plays is that his name yep, that joe plays kearney. steve yep um steve him in the hair like the chances of him probably getting picked out to become a movie star were might have you know when he he probably looks like a thousand other guys that would have been at the same open calls as him but like because he got to be featured three different ways on three different seasons of stranger things to kind of show what he does beautifully or like, um, Kieran and Shipka, like she's been in a ton, but like getting her to be able to like really stretch her wings on things like Sabrina and everything and show that like, you know, the script isn't great for that show, but she kind of makes gold with those scripts. We're seeing, with all of these streaming movies and things, um, or the fact that like the Beanie Feldsteins of the world are doing well and we want to see them, see her in more movies. It's just like, I love that we are at this point where we are able to consume so much media at all times that we have more people that are in our kinetic, uh, like mental kinetosphere that yep. we want to cast and see in things, which I just love. Um, Mitch, it has been amazing having you on the show. Are there any other thoughts you have as we start to uh, wrap up here? No, I think I think we hit it all, and uh, I'm, I'm I think we did super too. happy that you uh, made time for me to be on your show. Like this is this has oh, been so yeah. fun. Please, well, and when I switched over from Dole Whip to Saturday Morning, this is exactly what this is the kind of content that I wanted people to bring. Like when my friend Laura was like, "Let's do Gem," I was like, "Yes," and when you were like Goonies, I was like, "Yes." <laughs> so you know, it's it's really just an excuse one for me to watch things I haven't watched in a while. And so, thank you for literally coming on the show and bringing this uh, bringing this movie with you. Uh, where? can people find you in all of your shows? Cause you sound like me and everybody over on certain point of view that have too many shows to know what to do with and 
a job outside of the internet. So where can we find you online? Uh, please follow me on Twitter. I am at Mitchipedia GEM. GEM is stands for Geekly Media. So like I just do my branding. I, I try to make sure that everything goes back to that. Uh, we really, we, I really feel like we do have a podcast just for about everybody on Geekly Media. So if you search that on any social media, you will be able to find us. Um, Check out our shows. Check out we have we even have a book club show that does that's just that's every Tuesday. So if you if you like to listen to people talk about books and have things to discuss about books, they do a different book every three weeks because they they split up books into threes and uh, they talk about it. So it's 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 we we have a super fun time and I I just want more people to come on and enjoy it. Hey there, Screen Beans. Have you heard about Screen Snark? Rachel, this is an ad break. They aren't screen beans until they listen to the show. Fine. Potential screen beans. You like movies and TV shows, right? I mean, who doesn't? Screen Snark is a casual conversation about the movies and television shows that are shaping us as we live our everyday lives. That's right, Matt. We have a chat with at least one incredible guest every episode, hailing from all walks. We've interviewed chefs, writers, costumers, musicians, yoga teachers, comedians, burlesque dancers, folks in the film and TV industry, and more. We'd be delighted for you to join us every other Monday on the Certain POV Podcast Network. Or wherever you get your podcasts, fresh and tasty off the presses. What? what? That's... No, that's not... Can I call them Screen Beans now? Fine. Screen Beans! So tune in and we'll see you at the movies or on a couch somewhere. Because you're a whole Screen Beans now. You will be mine. Thank you, as always, for listening to Saturday Morning Confidential. I've been your host, Maddie Limerick. It was so wonderful having Mitch on, and I loved talking about the Goonies. Now, for the month of April, we will be taking a brief hiatus as life things need to take priority over the show. But we will be back at the beginning of May with SwampCon 2021 digital convention from the University of Florida. We're really excited. We're hoping to announce soon what we'll be doing. And then that week, I will also be joined by actress, funny person, and theme park worker, one of my best friends, Rachel Bodner, as we take a deep dive into the controversial classic Twilight. Yep, that's it, y'all. We are finally tackling Twilight. So join us then. You can follow our link tree for where we are on all of social media and across the internet. And if you missed our Pokemon 25 crossover event, go back and listen to it now because I am so proud of it. We had so much fun. Now join us next time for another deep dive into the files of Saturday Morning Confidential. CPOV. CertainPOV.com.